This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book at the dinner hour meeting under the covering title of the finished work. And we are now dealing with the apostles' claims upon us as Gentiles and our theme is developed from his first epistle, the epistle to the Galatians. If anyone says, how do you know it's the first epistle? I direct you to the book entitled The Apostle of the Reconciliation where all the argument and the archaeological evidence is worked out. I must draw your attention to the subject we had before us last week, partly because it's needful that we should see it's continued in the second chapter of Galatians, partly because we have a moving congregation. You will notice, if you look at verse 1 of Galatians 1, and then if you look at verses 12 and 13, and then once again at um, verses 16 and 17, now you say, what sort of this about? But in those verses you have these words repeated, not, neither, but. I'll read them. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, neither by man, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. That's a challenge. An independent apostleship of all except God himself. Now that apostle has a message, and the message is the gospel. Verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me was not, neither, but, not for man. I received it by revelation. And then thirdly, his commission. Verse 25, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen or Gentiles, immediately I conferred not, neither, but. He turned his back on Jerusalem, he went into Arabia. Now we pick up our story in chapter 2 of Galatians. It's one thing for you and for me to argue about this question of the validity of Paul's apostleship, whether he was rightly in the number or whatnot. But what do we know about it, apart from what God has told us? But supposing we go back and discover what Peter thought about Paul's apostleship, and what James thought about it, and what John thought about it, that may be more important than what I think about it, don't you see? You know? Modest, aren't I? But you see, you go away that some people argue. You'd think that 1900 years afterwards we could discuss these things. We can't. It's written for our learning. And inasmuch as this man is a champion for the gospel of the grace of God, salvation by grace without works of law to merit it, it comes very closely home to us. And further, he's the only man in the New Testament who is called the Apostle of the Gentiles. So that if we've got any logic about us at all, we would say, well, that's the man for me. So we pick the story up again in chapter 2 to discover what Peter, James and John thought about Paul's claim to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Will you look at the middle of the story first? Verse 6. But of those who seem to be somewhat, that's not a very respectful way to speak about apostles, is it? You know, there comes a time when you have to be pretty blunt. Those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to be. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat, in conference, added 
nothing to them. But contrarywise, when they saw, now notice this, when they saw the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, there's equality immediately established. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. If you can see any difference between wrought effectually and mighty, well, you've got something more than I have. It looks as though, again, we have a parallel. And when James, Kephas, and John, who seem to be pillars, you see, it's coming back again. He said, seem to be somewhat, if they're withstanding. They seem to be pillars in their own constitution. When they perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave unto me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen or the Gentiles, and they unto the circumcision. Is it possible, is it possible to deny that the apostles themselves, Peter, James and John, recognized the distinctive apostleship of Paul? If these words mean anything, that's a settled question. Now let us look at the context of this. We look for the first verse of this uh, chapter. Then 14 years after, 14 years after, supposing it was only 14, he's been speaking about three years after, and I think you must add them together, 17 years after or 14 years after, whichever you like, is a long period before you go up to anybody who's got any authority to discover whether you have a right commission or not, isn't it? If you've been preaching and writing and witnessing with signs following for 14 years, I should think you could go on for the rest of your time, wouldn't you? So he says, 14 years afterwards, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And I went up, why? For fear? No, I went up by revelation. I received the gospel by revelation. And I went up, what did I do that go, go there for? To communicate unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Well, if they knew all about it and exactly what it was, why did he need a revelation to go to tell them? So it looks as though he was telling them something that added to their information. But he said, I did it privately to them with a, a, a reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run or in vain. Now, why, why did he take Titus up? He tells you. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He is a Gentile taken right into the heart of the circumcision party. He comes away as he went. So you see, this intimidation of you Galatians to turn you a half into Jews before you can be sure of your salvation doesn't come from God. And that's because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And this is, a, 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 this is a, an epistle of Christian liberty. At the beginning of chapter 5, he rings out the challenge, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. For I certify that every one of you who seeks to be justified by your own works are fallen from grace, and Christ your prophet, you nothing. 
That's what this man was standing for. Let's go on. To whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for an hour. What a critical hour that must have been for you and me. Not for an hour. I go back to the book of Exodus and I hear Moses say to Pharaoh, not a hoof. And you may remember that I had a peculiar message sent to me on my birthday two years ago and the text was not a hoof. And people always say, well, what on earth are they going to do with anybody's birthday? Nothing. But they were referring to this. Moses said, not a hoof. Paul said, not for an hour. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Now, we haven't done yet. We come back to the first verse. Paul and Barnabas, they go to Jerusalem and stand for the faith. All right. Now, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the faith because he was to be blamed. So Paul goes up and stands for the faith and Peter, he draws back. So before that certain men came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. This is Peter. This is the man who's supposed to be the rock upon which the church is built. You know, the word rock's got two meanings, doesn't it? Solid and a little bit like that. Here's Peter. And the other Jews who assembled, the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Here's a tragedy coming. Inasmuch that Barnabas also, or you could translate it, inasmuch as even Barnabas was carried away. And the word dissimulation is just the ordinary word hypocrisy. Now look, Barnabas stood with Paul and he went with Peter. All see to it, friends, that your faith doesn't rest in the integrity of any man. We stand here for the book. We stand here for all that Christ teaches us. But don't rest upon our words. See to it that if we all slide, you remain. Here's a tragedy. Barnabas standing with Paul and sliding with Peter. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, would you look back? Verse 5. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel. Here's a structure coming out. You see it? At the beginning, Paul and Barnabas stand. Here, Peter and Barnabas go. The truth of the gospel maintained against all odds the truth of the gospel put in jeopardy. Is there anything further? Yes. I said unto Peter, before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, as you have been, Peter, and not as the Jews, why compellest? I almost feel that I must apologise to say, you see, he's picking up the word compel again. We've had it just now. Look. It says that Titus, in verse 3, who was with me being a Greek, was not compelled. This is not accidental, friends. When Paul stood, Titus was not compelled. When Peter started his wobbling, 
It was compelling the very Gentiles to do what Titus was never told to do by those at Jerusalem. This shows you that this is an integral part of the inspired word of God and not merely the private opinion of the Apostle Paul. It's got to stand upon it. The whole passage is a complete uh, structure. Why comparest thou the Gentiles do live as do the Jews? And when you get to the other end of the story, you find, you look down further, verse 20, he says, so far as I'm concerned, Peter, so far as I'm concerned, I am or have been crucified, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And then, when you get to the other end of the story, in chapter 4, he says in verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labour in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Now that has puzzled the uh, expositors and commentators. They make all sorts of suggestions as to what he can mean, be as I am, for I am as you are. But if you get the structure again of this passage, it starts off with, we who are Jews by nature, we who are Jews by nature, in chapter 2, and it ends up with those who were, by nature, no gods. It's all waiting for you with words to pinpoint. And then he says, look, I was a Jew. You were Gentiles. But I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, be as I am. For I am as you are. There's a leveling down or a leveling up here. Lifting you away from all the frustration of trying to be saved by your own integrity and your works and your ordinances, you find beneath your feet a solid rock. As one hymn puts it, in Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand.